welcome back. Thank you for joining us as we continue our discussion on 1 John and look at what God says to us through the Apostle John writing to dear children. And today we get to look at an interesting section. It's an interesting section that really focuses on the last times, the end times, and to see what kind of encouragement, what kind of warnings God gives us about those end times. We read from 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. As we see these these warnings, these encouragements that John is giving, he's already, first off, we get that address right away, dear children. Once again, he's talking to us as children, children of God. And he says, this is the last hour. And I think maybe the best where we need to pause and start first. What's so striking about the fact that John says, this is the last hour? I think what strikes me about it is realizing when this is written. So going back almost 2,000 years and seeing that at that time, he's already identifying this is the last hour. I think about all of the different things that I see in Christian news. Is this the last day? And to see that they were already talking about it in those terms at that time is something that is a little bit eye-opening that there doesn't necessarily need to be this big, okay, we're shocking. It seems like we it kind of gets used as like this shock factor of, are the end times coming? And here it tells us people have been living in the end times ever since Jesus died and rose again. There seems to be some obsession that people have with looking for signs of when the end is going to be here. But then what you see from John is already saying, it's already here. Yeah, and just going back over human history, you just see this continual cycle of all of the things that we, I think, rightfully are just more in tune to now, but thinking of all of these signs of the the end times, thinking of earthquakes and famines and wars and seeing, okay, yeah, those are true in 2020, they were also true in 52 AD, and going out from there. And maybe that too impresses upon us that as... 
we see John saying, this is the last hour. The things that Jesus said were going to come, they'd already taken place. Those things were already being fulfilled. And what encouragement that can be, okay, this is the last hour. We wait for Christ's return. But all, everything he said leading up to it, it's already being fulfilled. And that just gives us, I think, that encouragement to, to be ready for for that time. That it it's something that we don't know the day or the time, but be ready because... That is in fulfillment. And I think that's a huge thing here too because how does the fact that we are in the last hour, that we Christians have been in the last hour for now centuries, millennia, how does that change our perspective? I think that it, I guess it's so easy to to slip into just going through the motions, um, not being super intentional about what's going on, but realizing that there is this call to, to be um, in the moment, to be present, to know that it's coming. And I think it's one of those things, too, that the further you get away from Jesus' ascension, from him verbally proclaiming this promise of his return, the more it's weighed on the church to almost not deny the reality, not that they don't uphold that truth of, yes, Christ's going to come, but almost to fall into this complacency, it won't be during my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You, you think of those early Christians, some of them that, you know, even the Apostle Paul, like they were sitting idle and they were just waiting for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, how, how close they were to that promise being made, you think of maybe a similar way, how Adam and Eve, maybe were so excited, maybe waiting, okay, promise, offspring of the woman, thinking it's going to be right then. And then how that dragged in time that essentially Israel eventually just kind of, well, when's the Messiah going to come? Meh, who knows? Yeah. Has that happened to us with Christ's second coming? That's a really great point to bring out that it, in a lot of ways you see that complacency that Israel had uh, waiting for Jesus, and you can see that happening in our hearts and minds too. I mean, just that thought of, oh, it's not something that's on on my thoughts, on my in my mind. It's not something that I'm thinking about. Well, this person doesn't know Jesus yet, and Judgment Day is coming. Um, they need like that. I guess that um, just that excitement or that um, desperation is not there. There's certainly that urgency, as John says. This is the last hour, and this is how we know that this is the last hour. He gives you know evidence too that mm-hmm. it's okay. Don't think that this is just some idea, okay, we're talking in some generality. Yup, we're living in this time. No, this is how you know. And it's a warning. A warning as he says, you have heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. Now as John referenced the Antichrist, Paul speaks of that even more clearly in Second Thessalonians 2 regarding that man of lawlessness who sets himself up in God's church who opposes God, who puts himself in the place of God. Here John wants to shift to not specifically the Antichrist, but to look at Antichrists, those who set themselves against Antichrist. That's what it means, Christ in a general form. And that's the warning that, okay, this is evidence of the last hour, that this is going on. But this is also the warning, dear children, I'm writing these things from those who are trying to lead you astray. That certainly does serve as that warning, and I think that it makes it a little bit uncomfortable as we read where they come from. They went out from us, 
but they did not really belong to us. Just that idea of they are coming from within. So these were people that they knew, people that they were able, they had personal relations with. And it to me, that that's just a much different picture, that it's not these people that they have no relationship with that are easily identified, but it's something that he says, watch out for them. Um, I also think it's worth noting that just kind of taking a moment to think, okay, antichrist, that tells us that this is a term that scripture uses to talk about false teachers, that those that are leading others astray. And it's not just that the antichrist, but just to take special note that there's two different terms that are being used here. And how John describes antichrists, these general ones, I mean, he says very plainly, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And so I think when you connect those things, what, your thought, what you're expressing here is these are people among us, as John says. People you know, people you know who deny Jesus as a Christ, who deny the Father and the Son. And they are people we know. Mm-hmm. They are not just people somewhere out in the world. I think so often when we think of those who oppose Christ, oppose his church, we have that, okay, there's some people out there. They don't have a face. They don't have a name. But no, that's not true. That's not how John describes it. This is very personal for his first readers. It's personal for us. And just that that error in teaching that just becomes a big focal point of denying the divinity of Christ and how big of a deal that is not to look at it as something that is, oh, you know, we kind of believe the same thing, you just don't believe that Jesus is God. But realizing that that is a big deal, that by denying Jesus, you don't have faith in the real God, um, that you're pushing away from God the Father. You don't even know him if you deny Jesus. It's impossible to know one without the other. So you look at that, and it, it does become something that it, it alerts us to this is a big false teaching. Um, something that if someone denies Jesus is God, they are not what we would call Christians. And I think that's what boils down to it. What makes someone a Christian? It's confessing Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that gets really to the heart of the issue with, with really interacting with anyone. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Yeah. That question certainly drives that conversation of trying to understand someone's beliefs. And I think that's a real, those are important conversations to have in our day and age because just because someone says that I'm not connected to the Wells Church or not connected to this, asking those further questions to see what are your beliefs about Jesus, that's when you can start to understand maybe what their beliefs are in a better way. You know, I think we can take that step further. We can think as we interact with those outside of our church and we'll find out, okay, ask who is Jesus and see, okay, are they confessing Christ as their Savior or are they opposing Christ? But also it's probably an important question that as we see that these false teachers had come out of the church to also then make sure we have that conversation, engage with with each other, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, members of our congregations, people who we do worship with, who we do see their faces in the pews, who talk about Jesus, because that is the heart and core. Thinking about that idea that false teachers come out of the church, and, you know, as John says there, that they had 
come from us, but they did not. They went out from us, but did not really belong to us. That can perhaps raise some fear in our own hearts to really kind of think about the scenario. What happened here? You had people who were part of the congregation, who had sat there, sang the hymns, who maybe had heard about Jesus from little on, and now it says they went out from us. They did not really belong to us, and that can perhaps create some fear in our hearts of what happens if that happens to me. And that's what's, I think, so great about the way that John then approaches the topic and continues to talk about, talk to the people and I think also to us and give us that um, confidence builder. Um, He uses that phrase, anointed, uh, to to help the people realize, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Uh, To fight, I think, to help combat and fight um, maybe that that fear that they could have as maybe they start to get a little bit um, fearful of just those around them. But to say, you've been anointed by from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. So to tell them, you are prepared to spot these people, you can tell this. It's not something that you have to be worried, am I going to be able to tell that they are a false teacher or not? And here, I think, again, we see that as through John, when God gives a warning... It's not a warning without building up. He gives this, okay, a warning, yes. Recognize, what do warnings do? They alert your attention to danger. And okay, when danger is in front of us, what's our normal reaction? Fear. Fear. But God then comes to bring peace to our hearts, to remove that fear through what he has done. And that, that anointing, you have the Holy One, that you have the truth, as you said. And maybe to think, well, okay, this idea of as we remain in him, I mean, that's how John closes the section that we remain in him. Well, how does that happen? It's because of that anointing. Maybe to key in on some of those things that first recognize there what he has promised with his anointing. As he says, if it does you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. If you've, from you've heard from the beginning reigns in you, what he's promised is eternal life. Your remaining is not remain to essentially obtain eternal life. It's what God's promised to you. He remains true with his promises. This idea of remaining in the teaching, I think is an interesting one as John presents it. I think oftentimes we maybe talk we have this idea, okay, we need to keep hearing God's word, keep remaining. Yeah, that's very true. Scripture emphasizes it. God, that's how God speaks to us. But what is God highlighting here as he talks about remaining in his teaching? One thing I think that strikes out to me is just the idea that you do not need anyone to teach you. And that's such a such a special thing to, to bring up, and it's speaks to such an important characteristic of Scripture that is so easily lost on that idea that Scripture is not something that is meant to be confusing or difficult to understand. Um, At the same time, recognizing that the Bible does talk about things being maybe harder to understand, certain things, but it's not meant to be this code language. It's not meant to be this thing that you need 
an extra book to figure out or you need a pastor or a special guru to explain it to you. But rather, this is something that is meant to be spoken very plainly that is able to be understood. And there I think we see some of those tie-ins to what we mentioned with ours, the end times, the last day. People are looking for, okay, find the clues, crack the code, the puzzle. That's not at all what this book is. Right. And that, I think, is a, can be a big misunderstanding about the Bible, that it is something that is either a code to crack or it's so difficult to understand that I can never read this on my own and gain personal understanding. And that's a scary thing to think about um, because that really is a barrier that I think our culture and in our country has been placed there that does keep people away from remaining in the Word of God. Do we have this concept that this is a difficult book to read? That what God says, now certainly God's thoughts are way above our thoughts, but does God communicate way above our understanding? Intentionally, no, right? You look at the way that God speaks to us in the scriptures and he very intentionally uses things that are meant to um, be relatable, um, things that we are meant to be able to understand. And just to think of all the different ways that God then communicates to do that whether it is through parables, whether it is through historical accounts, whether it is through letters written here, communicating in a variety of ways and pictures in order to touch our senses. You know, that's one something we talked about very first episode, how John appeals to the senses. These are things we have seen, our hands have touched, we have heard. And you see how, you know, God communicates to our senses in different ways too throughout his word to make it something we can understand relate to Mm -hmm. god is not trying to create an obstacle for us in fact god is breaking down the obstacle by coming to us and speaking in words yeah i think i think a lot um with this section about uh bible sunday and so at at our church at grace it's a really awesome Sunday when our third grade class gets up in front of the church um, and they'll come and they'll receive their first Bible. And they, they receive that, they go sit back in the pews, and I sometimes wonder, what does the congregation think about this? Um, you know, is this just kind of like this this big show? But I had a really cool reminder. One of my sons is in first grade, and his teacher had written this note home, um, just communicating how important reading is. That's kind of one of the big things that they're working on right now is that skill of reading. And in that note, the end of it was, we want to learn to read so that you can read the Bible. And you think about that goal already in first grade for seven-year-olds, six and seven-year-olds, and then you think about in eighth grade. And I think about just that mindset of when they receive that Bible as third graders and thinking kind of like, what is the value of this? But realizing that for those kids that have now been reading for three years, that they should be able to read things from the actual Bible. And you think about that, and it, I think, does help to see, oh, yeah, this does have value. Um, again, even if, you know, your third grader has to come to you and say, I, don't, I can't read Nebuchadnezzar, that's okay. They can also read, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. They can read and know those things on their own as a third grader. And to see that as you continue to grow year after year in your understanding of language, that's also true as we go through our lives. You know, that skill of under being able to read and understanding different types of language, how language works, 
all of a sudden we see more insight into what God's proclaiming. Mm-hmm. And that that is that's a beautiful thing to point out too. Is there certainly is a depth of understanding to Scripture, but that's why we continue to grow and study these things. With John writing here that you don't need anyone to teach you, I think that's an important thing then for us to think about. How do we apply that to our lives? Have we been in some ways, at times, hesitant to read, to study God's Word on our own for fear of, I won't get it? And I think definitely. Like I, I think in my own personal Bible reading, there are definitely books that like I'll avoid reading because I for one reason or another, but it becomes like, oh, this, this is so tedious um, to, to try to get it, or this is really, like, this is hard, and it doesn't need to be that way. Um, I think when we have that attitude, we do the opposite of what we should be doing, which is pushing the scriptures or a particular book of the Bible further away um, than we should, rather than embracing it and saying, it's okay, we start with small steps and gain it knowledge and understanding and here i think it fits so nicely i mean okay you come to something that you aren't sure exactly what it means well that's you know the blessing of god's church mm-hmm. that he gives other christians you know let's have these conversations about yeah what scripture teaches as john is pointing here he's not saying you don't ever go and talk to one someone it's not saying that you should individually be able to come up with every single insight there is in god's word none of us ever will but simply there that you don't need someone to teach you outside of what Scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. That's where you're taught. And you can understand it. You can. And so let's go to it. Yeah. My mind kind of wanders to uh, con- our confirmation process a little bit with this too and kind of how that gets set up for failure a little bit at times when there really is a large... I feel very strongly about this, a huge breadth of knowledge that our um, confirmands, our children confirmands come away with. But because of that, it almost becomes this like, okay, we know all of this, and then um, where else do we grow? They have so much knowledge. Um, And it's not like continuing to grow so often. And it's not looking at, well, I can continue to grow, but I had pastors and teachers that spent all this time putting all this into my mind. And I think that kind of distorts a little bit this biblical model of education that exists. God writes his word for every person, not for a select group of people to proclaim to others. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I kind of think of have unintentionally have we found ourselves back at what Luther experienced. When Luther's time growing up, he had no access to the Bible. It wasn't written in their language, language of the common tongue, German. It was written in Latin. It was chained to a desk. It was not freely in homes. It was the idea that the church would tell you what the Bible says, what God says, that you don't that you need someone else to teach it to you. Mm-hmm. Have we unintentionally, as we've just kind of lifted up, okay, let others explain it to us, kind of found ourselves in the same spot. That even as the Bible now is freely accessible mm-hmm. in our homes all over the internet, as it's written in our, a language we do understand, English, and in many different translations at that, yeah. have we still had this idea in our head, you just can't get it, you need someone else. 
you need that pastor, you need that teacher, staff minister, you need someone to explain it to you. And by doing that, we've distanced it ourselves from our lives, not because anyone is distancing from it. And it, it just feels that, that that is very true. And I think trying to knock down that barrier is something that is, is really important. Like you said, you can type in to your computer BibleGateway.com. You can pick the translation that you want. Um, no matter what is your native language, it feels like you could have access to the Bible in that. But at the same time, realizing that in spite of all those things being knocked down, we still have difficulty saying, I'm going to read the Bible. And maybe it's just value in thinking, okay, there is some sort of fear, hesitancy. What are these obstacles that prevent us from just picking up on our own and reading it? Mm-hmm. You know, one that comes to my mind right away is the, can be the fear of, I'm not going to understand it properly. Mm-hmm. Even maybe going to the extreme fear of what you see, okay, the these antichrists who were from us and this false teaching, okay, was in the church starting out, that I'm going to understand it wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take some false idea from it. And I think that it, this, to me, I guess, goes a little bit back to humility and understanding that these these things that happen in Scripture that we don't understand, that we don't grasp, it's okay. Um And again, you pointed to the value of the church to be able to talk and ask questions and communicate these things. Um, I look at words and different things, and I'm a thousand percent sure that I have miscommunicated things, that I have said things um, that were said incorrectly at one time or another. And praise God that I'm forgiven for those things, but at the same time recognizing that we need to talk and communicate and figure these things out in order to be able to understand that. No Christian throughout their whole life always accurately understand every single portion of God's Word. Mm-hmm. We are growing in our understanding of God. At some point in every Christian's life, they understand something inaccurately from mm-hmm. God's Word. And then I think, you know, to emphasize too, okay, we have the church, that blessing. But then also let's not forget the power at work. This is the anointing from the Holy One. It's His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, how have you come to know what you do know from Scripture? Oh yes, perhaps parents, teachers, pastors taught you those things, but who really has taught you those things? It comes back to the work of the Holy Spirit, working in our hearts, giving us that knowledge and understanding. And then to recognize that as you do go read that, maybe the fear is, I won't understand it, but who is at work? Remember that. As you read, whose word is it? It's his word. He is at work. Yeah. Now, he might use other people to help guide you, too. But as the fear of, oh, no, I might misunderstand this, don't discredit the Spirit. Right, right. That's just a a wonderful, I think, reminder is that the Holy Spirit is at work within us, um, helping us to gain that understanding. As we uh, wrap up our episode today, we want to try to leave you with that that conversational piece to to talk about over the coming week. And I think the the biggest thing is to just talk about Scripture, uh, to, to share these things. 
and specifically maybe things that we're uncomfortable with. I think that there are things that at times or places in the Bible, I mentioned that there are books in the Bible that maybe I shy away from reading on my own, um, but to approach those things and more so to talk about those things, to say, you know, this is a place in scripture, or this is something in the Bible that I don't feel like I understand, to talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ about those things, um, to try to gain insight from them. And I think there's a lot of value that's gained in talking amongst ourselves about those things. With that, we'll wrap up our our fifth episode of Dear Children. Next time, we will jump into 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to talk about end times a little bit again, Um, and we want to talk about specifically being confident in Christ's coming and just revel in how we can be confident in end times and in Judgment Day, or maybe we'll have some different terms to talk about that day. Have a wonderful day and thank you for joining us.